0: Hello there! Welcome to The Oven Hawk, a podcast discussing Star Wars news and Knights of the Old Republic. Today we will discuss John Boyega's interview with the British GQ and continue our recap of KOTOR on Terrace. Spoiler alert for Knights of the Old Republic and the Star Wars films and TV shows. This is where the fun begins. I thought we'd first get started with an interview that John Boyega did with the British GQ can find it on their website and please read the whole thing it's it's a very good in-depth and analytical article I would I would suggest it it's not a long one and you can get a lot more of the nuance and all that there. What John Boyega is saying is bigger than the sequels not making everyone happy. This is someone not being treated equally due to the color of their skin which in definition, Is racism you know and he didn't intend like for this article to be a witch hunt like this person didn't do this this person didn't do that but it's kind of Boyega just saying like Hollywood as an institution and like studios as corporations they're kind of just like not quite doing their part to facilitate a place for all kinds of people not just you know, white people.
1: I think primarily like we want to summarize like some of the important points that we picked out of here, but for everybody that wants to take a look at the article, it's just on the the GQ magazine website. Yeah. British uh,
0: GQ. So yeah. Yeah. If you read the whole article, there's a whole story about how he is used to high pressure situations. And he was once stranded at sea in Nigeria, and it was eight years ago now. He was 20 years old, fresh off of his film debut in Attack the Block, and he was in his ancestral motherland uh, to appear in Half of the Yellow Sun, but he kind of just got on the wrong vessel, and one of the captains just saw that he was kind of wearing Western clothing and... Kind of looked like he had some money and the captain turned off the, the engine and just said I'll turn it back on for cash and John Boyega had to dig down and be like no I'm not gonna give into this person you know I'm going to stand my ground and it was a hard 15 minutes but then there was a police boat that came and was able to help him but he always kind of just remembers like that situation and it's like he had to choose like am I going to be brave or am I going to like let this person walk over me and he said no I'm I'm gonna be brave and stand up for myself and not do the easy thing and I think like John Boyega like he he does that and at the Black Lives Matter protest in London on June 3rd he gave a A great speech uh, like a five-minute speech where he condemned the barbaric deaths of uh, George Floyd, uh, Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland, Stephen Lawrence and Mark Dugan and condemned the institutional racism and you can find that speech online and it's a good one it's a powerful one and he just was condemning their deaths because they were unarmed and they weren't resisting Arrest and when he's giving that speech you can see that he's angry, but he's also tearful and I would I would suggest uh, listening to that But there's a quote from it that Boyega said and he said I need you guys to understand how painful this is I need you to understand how painful it is to be reminded every day that your race means nothing This isn't the case anymore. That is never the case anymore. And of course you can find that speech uh, on YouTube and Looking back in time, if you remember the lead-up to The Force Awakens, it just kind of seems like night and day. The article says, and time to take in a physical transformation that in its own way is as dramatic as the philosophical shift he has clearly undergone in recent years. Mostly gone is the puppyish kinetic figure that Many first met during the extended press jamboree of The Force Awakens. Back then, it's like everyone was excited for Star Wars and he was excited to be there and he thought that it was going to go one way. Uh, there, he was told that he was going to be the lead, he was going to be the Jedi, and that's how The Force Awakens was marketed, but then that did not pan out and now there's kind of more important things, you know, than like space movies. And the article continues, he now possesses stillness and the gym thickened build of a depression era heavyweight and there is a high decibel pulpit ready passion and ferocity to the way his sentences unfurl and crescendo with unblinking eye contact. His hair too grown out for the past two years and worn today in tightly plaited swishing braids is it turns out of almost Samsonian significance to him. And he says when black men grow out their hair it's it's a very powerful thing. Culturally, it stands for something. In fact, it was what Boyega saw as attempts to control his appearance that caused him to question his place in the sausage machine of big-ticket movie-making. That made him wonder if there was actually room for someone who looked like him to exist in an industry generally built to white standards and white norms. Boyega says that he had some stylist who would cringe at certain clothes he would want to wear and a hairdresser who had no experience working with black hair but pretended that he did and it was just kind of like, you know, it it would be kind of insulting and you kind of just feel like you, you don't fit in. And he decided he didn't want to grin and bear it like a grateful competition winner. And during the Force Awakens press tour, he kind of went along with it, and he was genuinely and obviously happy to be a part of it. But his dad told him one thing, don't overpay with respect. You can pay respect, but sometimes you'll be overpaying and sell yourself short. And you kind of remember that in the lead-up to the Force Awakens, where John Boyega's face was smaller on the Chinese posters, and... Elsewhere, he was marketed as, as the lead. He was told he was going to be the lead and he was going to be the Jedi, but then it was a bait-and-switch, and then he kind of just wasn't really given an, another story, you know, as the sequels went on. And John Boyega says, it's so difficult to maneuver. He says, you get yourself involved in projects and you're not necessarily going to like everything. But what I would say to Disney is, do not bring out a black character, market them to be so much more important in the franchise than they are, and then have them pushed to the side. It, it's not good, I'll say it straight up. And Finn, the former stormtrooper, he wielded a lightsaber in the first film, and then he was kind of just pushed aside. But the article says, but he's also talking about other people of color in the cast. Naomi Aki. Kelly Marie Tran and even Oscar Isaac, who he feels suffered the same treatment. He is acknowledging that some people will say he's crazy or making it up, but the recorded character hierarchy of The Last Jedi was particularly hard to take and that's true, you know? <laughs> and he goes on to say, like you guys knew what to do with Daisy Ridley, you know what to do with Adam Driver, you know what to do with these other people, but when it came down to Kelly Marie Tran when it came to John Boyega, you know, blank all. So what do you want me to say? What they want you to say is, I enjoyed being a part of it. It was a great experience. Nah, nah, nah. I'll take the deal when it's a great experience. They gave all the nuance to Adam Driver, all the nuance to Daisy Ridley, let's be honest. Daisy knows this, Adam knows this, everybody knows this, I'm not exposing anything. Boyega says, like, it's a, it was an amazing opportunity and a stepping stone Is in his career that has been a force for good in his life and his career, but he just wanted to express where he was coming from. He was able to buy his parents a house and he's grateful for that, but he kind of wants to show his frustrations. There's this quote that uh, is very powerful and it just it kind of breaks your heart and it says his primary motivation is to show the frustrations and difficulties of trying to operate within what can feel like a permanently rigged system. He is trying really to let you know what it feels like to have a boyhood dream ruptured by the toxic realities of the world." Because out of all of the cast of The Force Awakens when they were announced, he seemed like the most genuine and excited to be there, and it seemed like he had been the fan, you know? He'd been a Star Wars fan his whole life, and Out of all of the characters in the sequel trilogy, I think he kind of stood his own with the lightsaber. And I think he just was so excited to be there and could have, like, tackled being a Jedi no problem. But then he was just kind of made a janitor, you know? Towards the end, he says, I'm the only cast member who had their own unique experience of that franchise based on their race, he says, holding my gaze. just leave it like that it makes you angry with a process like that it makes you much more militant it changes you because you realize i got given this opportunity but i'm in an industry that wasn't even ready for me nobody else in the cast had people saying they were going to boycott the movie because they were in it nobody else had the uproar and death threats sent to their instagram dms and, and social media saying black this and black that and you shouldn't be a stormtrooper Nobody else had that experience, but yet people are surprised that I'm this way. That's my frustration. So all in all, it's an excellent article. It's not him complaining or being a diva. I think it's a level-headed take, and I just hope that in the future, the cast, like, no matter what they look like or who they are, are just treated with respect by the studios and the audience and that this doesn't happen again and what he's saying is very important and just something very important to star wars going forward i think what do you think
1: and just to add like it's not just about you know star wars going forward but i think it's just just the productions in general moving forward that you know it's it's pretty like if this was said by somebody else like in representation of say like john boy for example i think that like this would have meant something like completely different, but this is like somebody who is experiencing like the hand and, and you know, it, it did, it did really mess with the sequel trilogy success is that their drive to market diversity, but they, they really had no intention to give each of these characters like a legitimate role. Like it would have just been better to, it would have been better to cut out some of these roles and just stick with what they And what they had going.
0: Because I think out of all of the characters, I would say probably the character with the most potential in the sequel trilogy was Finn. Because he would have been a stormtrooper, a force-sensitive stormtrooper, who rebelled against the Empire. And that is a whole lot more interesting to think about like the potential and the possibilities, I think, than what we got. What we got was just a janitor who was always chasing after Ray, you know, and... And
1: just a mixing pot of a bunch of roles that didn't really know where their place was.
0: All in all, I think Lucasfilm, Disney, and Hollywood, and a lot of the world can do better.
1: They They preach like they know better, so they should know better, you know?
0: So anyways, please give the article a read, and... We wish John Boyega all the best uh, in his career moving forward.
1: Well, let's take a quick break and then let's uh, let's change some gears to our next topic.
0: was kind of heavy real world Uh, so now we are talking about talking about sewers but while I was kind of replaying the Teresian levels in Knights of the Old Republic I had a realization Terrace is probably the most real part of KOTOR and that's kind of like the fun thing about sci-fi is you can talk about some real world issues kind of in a foreign setting so they're not as heavy and you spend a significant section of the game in Terrace and Terrace has a lot of problems that I kind of didn't quite get or it didn't register with me when I first played through it like in 2003. It deals with plagues, it deals with discrimination, it deals with People kind of being pushed to one area, you know? You have upper, lower, and under city. And within Terrace, you start at the upper, then you go to the lower, then under, and then go back up to lower and then upper. It's like you descend and you ascend. And that really reminded me of the Divine Comedy, where Dante goes down to hell, then to purgatory and heaven also of the film the silent film from 1927 metropolis and part of me was like wondering like did the person who wrote the Theresian levels like were they kind of just plagiarizing metropolis at some points because it really reminded me of the people in the undercity they were looking for like a savior or a mediator to find the way to the promised land and in metropolis like some of the people in that film, the workers living in the lower levels, they're looking for a promised land. And I'm like, wow, okay, I guess that's happening. But I would definitely recommend Metropolis. It has inspired a whole lot of sci-fi and definitely inspired Star Wars, especially the look of droids. And Metropolis is free on YouTube because everyone involved in the production of that film is deceased and can no longer file a copyright claim so youtube doesn't care so uh-huh. yeah so you can watch it but yeah uh previously on the knights of the Old republic recap mission and zalabar are reunited in the sewers of terraces undercity they're going to help revan get into the hidden beck base So, the hidden Beck base where you access it is in the northeast corner of the Undercity Sewers. Mission helps you get past the force field. Mission is a great companion to have because she can work with the mines, kind of dismantle them, and like set them up pretty easily. And she's just very good for all the tech problems like spiking computers you're going to have to do but the hard thing is she doesn't have much health, so it's kind of a struggle to keep her alive sometimes and as you're kind of walking around Mission and Zalabar they have some friendly banter about Zalabar's bad breath and like what happened to him while he was being held by the Gamorreans it kind of just makes the universe feel lived in like they're best friends and Big Z he's not big to tell you about his past, and it seems like he hasn't really even told mission that much. All she says is like there was some trouble on Kashik um, and then you kind of just learn that mission is an orphan, but you're not meant to kind of figure out more than that because it's kind of like you kind of learn as you level up. But as you're kind of going through the sewers, you find a severed Beck arm. And you read the datapad, and it talks about a synthesized Rancor odor. So you can use it to attract the Rancor, which is kind of like a big, huge dog that the Hidden Becks use to guard their base. So it took me, I remember when I first played this, I'm like, what are you supposed to do? I can't outrun it, can't fight it. Like, what? So I had to Google it and find out. And I kind of don't believe you if you say you didn't Google how to do this part, you know. But how I figured out how to do it back then is you kind of put into the pile of bodies. You put in some synthesized rancor odor and a whole lot of mines. And you kind of let the rancor find it. And it blows it up, and yeah. Some people say they outran it, but I don't believe Yeah, I outran it. Really?
1: I I have never done the, the Rancor Scent Strat. I have always just like every man for himself and ran right past the Rancor and let the rest of the party die while I shot it and threw grenades until it went down.
0: Well, don't do a group project with Coden. So, yeah. it's like, yeah, you'll y'all, die.
1: You'll for yourself if you're with me.
0: <laughs> yeah. You can also fight the remains, but then that just makes the Rancor disappear. I think it'd be cool if you could get the, the mines back, even though they're kind of used, but. Or, like, find some Rancor leather to change into an outfit or something. But alas. Um, uh,
1: I think you can look through Rancor remains. Uh, oh, really
0: because because I tried it and it didn't Well you have anything up. to loot?
1: I looted his dead carcass because oh. I shot him with blasters. Okay. I don't know. it's been a few years, but I'm pretty confident you can loot him.
0: But anyways, like throughout the the sewers, it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. Like there's a whole lot of mines and mission can like dismantle them. And it's kind of like, oh, this is the game trying to tell me to do stuff with mines, you know. And that's kind of where the culmination is. So it kind of stuck out a bit. Like, that was a game designer trying to get me to notice something. But then you get into the Black Volker's base. The Guard Rancor is dead. And what I wasn't expecting in the base is, like, through some parts of it, there's, like, a club beat. And I'm like, oh, I like that. And you can either, you either run into the waitress or the green twilight. You can run into both of them. But they give your character the information that Bastille is not here. Brezhik doesn't trust his men with her. But that the swoop accelerator, you need to get a pass to go to the elevator in the barracks. And that there's also an armory. And what you want to do is go to the armory and get some great armor and weapons and you're also going to want to have missions slice into the computer nearby to slice the barracks to kind of overload the the barracks room so like more of the people are dead you know because it's really hard to beat all of them and you also want to deactivate the elevator turrets so When you go to the barracks, you might have to fight a few people after you slice, but it's not that hard. And you get the pass to the elevator, you go down the elevator uh, to the Black Volker Base Swoop Garage. And down in the garage there's a workbench, and you can always upgrade melee, armor, ranged, and lightsabers there, so it's a good thing too to be aware of in the game, because it can definitely help you upgrade some weapons and all that. Then you go through the lackeys and you get the prototype Swoop Accelerator. And then you end up getting back to the Hidden back base and they decide Revan will race. And then in our next episode, maybe a couple episodes of our grand recap, there is the Swoop Race and getting off terrace so yeah
1: they missed an opportunity for for revin to be like now this is pod racing yeah don't let's don't just, hire me because i'll definitely throw that in there
0: yeah well hire me and i'll put it in there and not feel guilty so uh let's take <laughs> a quick break and we will discuss our final topic left off how our proposed adaptation would go. Karth and Revan were taking in Terrace's upper city. So Coden, in an adaptation, how would you get Karth and Revan from upper Terrace to the swoop race in a timely way, but in a way in which you are able to showcase the lower and under cities with proper world building?
1: I mean, that's going to be tricky because there's a lot of content between the lower and under city. And so like I'd I'd probably just stick with the bare minimum for the lower city and then yeah maybe like the like a quick like cameo of the of the Rackles, but not have a whole lot of like Rackle activity and then the rancor of course would probably be in the adaptation and then one of the things that I thought took a long time to do was to get the swoop accelerator like having to get all the different parts to then get the access to grab the suit accelerate, and bring it back. Uh I'd have to f- find a way to shorten that down. Cause I think in a, in a film sense, there's just way too much going on to kind of make that entertaining. I think. Yeah. And then I'd, yeah, I'd cap it off with the swoop race.
0: Yeah. I don't think that an adaptation, it would necessarily all have to be real time. Like maybe you could be like there was a few days or longer than like real time. But a lot of Star Wars films, they use real time. And sometimes it makes the film seem longer. But how I would handle an adaptation is Karth and Revan are disguised. They go down to the lower city and then maybe they see a gang war going on between the Hidden Bex and the Black Vulkers, or like Mission and her gang are being kind of harassed by Sith patrols. And then Karth and Revan are like, we're not going to let this stand. We're on your side, you know? And then at the, at the end, they say, we're kind of looking for Bastila Shan, a Republic fighter whose pod either went, down into the under city or the lower city and then maybe mission could say hey i'm grateful for you helping out my gang the hidden becks have big z zalbar in the sewer in the under city would you be able to help me get my friend and would you be able to help me get my friend and i'll help you get that swoop accelerator in the same place because Basla is the prize in that race and we can help each other make what we both want happen you know and then maybe in the undercity you kind of just get the vibe that it's kind of like ooh this is kind of like a kind of a creepy subway stop you know like and maybe like you see a bit of Javar's cantina probably more because i love the music and the vibe there and then maybe you go to the undercity but maybe that it feels empty, and maybe, like, there's just one person left who said they went to the promised land, and you're like, okay, sounds good, you know, and maybe you see a couple rat in the distance, but it's kind of more like they're just, like, random creatures, and you're like, what the heck, you know? And then they find the swoop accelerator in the other city, and then they're like, okay, we'll go to this race, and I'm fine with, like, Karth. You know, Karth or Revan driving in the race and cause I don't know, I think it makes more sense for Karth to have something to do when he's a pilot. Like maybe the maybe has a really good time, but then the swoop accelerator kind of like reacts and then like he kinda gets thrown off and like maybe gets unconscious and then Revan has to finish it. But we can talk more about the race and everything after. Maybe in a future episode. So that's what I would do. I
1: think Terrace just has a lot that it packs in, and so to to kind of fit it in a in a really like neat and upbeat package, I think would be really yeah. tricky for the Terrace segment.
0: I think like you want to spend some time on Terrace, so you kind of learn the characters and like kind of get a feel for the Old Republic era, but you don't want to feel like you're kind of just stuck in place. Because I think, like, at the 45-minute mark of A New Hope is when Han Solo makes his first appearance, so I would be fine if, like, Basila made her appearance 45 minutes in. You don't want it to be too long before, like, it's kind of like, we're just doing side quests on Terrace, you know? But you don't want it to feel, like, just, like, too quick
1: so i think yeah hope also had what it had going for it where it was it was telling two stories at the same time it was telling it was showing leia's perspective and then it was going back to Tatooine for the droids and luke and yeah so, like, so the droids I mean, kind of link kinda those help, two stories yeah they could help like mix up the story of Terrace with uh jump into a little bit of basil perspective um, just yeah. to, so that the viewer can um, meet Bastila, and then and then yeah, have the two have the two parties link up uh, later.
0: Yeah, because I'm I'm fine. Maybe showing her a bit in the beginning, um, kind of how like you see Leia, but then maybe like m- let her first appearance be like kind of kicking butt, getting out, you know. I mean, we'll definitely talk about that more in the future, but... Yeah, it, it's kind of an interesting... It's an interesting path to walk, because... I feel like you don't want too much terrace, but then you need to have some terrace to, like, show who these people are, so... It's an interesting dance, I think, so... But... I'm fine with us uh, kind of switching things up, kind of streamlining things, making it an entertaining movie. And in the future, I have some interesting ideas that maybe some people will not like or that maybe some viewers won't necessarily agree with. But I think that's that's the fun thing about kind of figuring out how an adaptation would work because you can't like just make it exactly like the game. You kind of, but I do believe you can keep most of the story but make a but make a fun movie. So I mean like one example be would be
1: like telling the story of the undercity, um, but in, in Bastila's perspective. So like you don't maybe you don't cover a lot of what happens in the undercity with Carth and Revan, but you are with Bastila. So you're still getting like the perspective and the and the happenings of that area but there isn't a lot of important things going on with reven and karth uh, the, other than maybe a couple key points and so like you can learn more about it when there's like a scene of basela in custody and yeah then, and then yeah just kind of approach it that way i don't know
0: we're curious to hear how how you guys would want it to be done Thank you for listening to the Ebon Hawk.
1: You can find us on Instagram at Ebon Hawk Podcast. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Google Podcasts, as well as everywhere else that uh, Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Um, Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out a lot. So uh, be sure to do that and uh, tell your friends. Our email to uh, send us your questions and just business inquiries, if there are any, is Podcast at gmail.com. And then um, you can find me if you want to talk to me live at twitch.tv forward slash and, bun, and I tweet at when I go live. So just um, keep an eye on my Twitter for that. Uh, as well as I do kind of poke around a little bit on Instagram. So you can find me there just at the same handle. And our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Shorman. And he could be found at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash Alistair Sounds. Our transition music was composed by Christian Walker. And he could be found at christianwalkermusic.com. This has been the Ebonhawk Podcast. May the Force be with you. We'll be back soon. Bye for now.